0: And that is the cry of every Christian that in our father's house, there's a place for me all because of Christ and all by grace through faith. You know, there are some churches where you can't come unless you are part of a certain color or a certain socioeconomic class or whatever. Uh, but we're grateful that uh, God's word tells us that you come, come one, come all. Jesus didn't turn them away. He allowed them to come in. And so we're grateful for that. Well, this morning, as we uh, join together for our pastoral prayer, we're going to be going through and praying for another sister church this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to be praying for uh, First Baptist Church of Holt, Missouri. Holt, Missouri. I know most of y'all know where Holt, Missouri is. Just a what about 20 minutes north on I-35, and we're preparing for Pastor Dakota Derby, Dakota Derby. And I said, Pastor, how can we pray for you guys? He said, you know, we're praying Ephesians 1, 15 through 19 for our church. Would you just pray that for us? I said, how are you guys doing in the pandemic? He said, like everyone else, we're we're making it. We're gonna do what we can, but we're not gonna let it stop us from worshiping our God. Those were his pretty much his direct words over Facebook this week to me. So let me read to you Ephesians 1, 15 through 19, and we're gonna pray that for our sister church, of course for our church here at Tower View as well. Paul writes, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks to you, thanks for you rather, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, or the King James says, in the heavenlies. That is a prayer. That's a big prayer. This is Paul writing one big sentence, which is known as Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, he just gets excited because everything God has said has come true, and that impacts everyone he knows through the gospel. Let's pray together, and uh, we'll go before our Lord this morning. Father, thank you so much for the Scripture. And Lord, we know that all Scripture is profitable for reproof and re, and rebuke, Lord, and, and growth and holiness in Christ. But Father, praying the Scripture is such a blessing because it teaches us the very things that we know in our heads, but Lord, we want to see in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, our sister church, First Baptist Holt, Pastor Dakota, and his church is praying through this. They're trying to see these things come to, to, to light. That, Father, they, as they remember... Other churches in their prayers, as we do, that Lord, you may give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in you, that they may come to a greater knowledge of you. Father, that they would have their eyes open as we would and enlightened, that we may know to the hope that which we've called, not a hope that passes, not a hope that's good on a sunny day and not on a rainy day, but a hope that holds our souls for all eternity. Father, may they know as we know here and pray as well for us that we would know the immeasurable greatness and the power and the might of you who called us. Father, the same God that you are who raised Christ from the dead lives within us by your spirit. Thank you so much. Father, we pray you grow this among our sister church, grow it among us. And Father, as we are working through this pandemic and all these things, may we look a thousand more times at Christ than we do at COVID statistics or whatever else is out there. Father, because you're worthy. Father, someday in heaven, when we come back uh, to be with you forever, it won't, this will be just a passing moment. We won't even remember it. For, Father, all of our gaze and our, our whole might will be focused around worshiping you as we long to worship you perfectly, sinlessly, and, and together with all the saints who call upon your name for all time. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Give us wisdom as we open up First Thessalonians for this first week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well, I invite your attention to first, actually two places this morning. I'm going to invite you mainly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And, you know, as you're preparing this, I just want to give you, we were going to be preaching on this when we scheduled these out last year. We were going to be preaching on this through basically chapter 1. Chapter 1 was going to take six weeks, so you get it in one week. How about that? So it's okay. You'll, it'll be all right. But as we turn there, I want you to know that we're calling this uh, series countercultural, countercultural, meaning that what we're going to read about are things they did and they were praised for by Paul about how they stood against the tide of their times in the gospel for Christ, for his glory, countercultural. I also want you, if you'll hold your spot in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to read also Acts chapter 17. Now I'm going to give a nod. I was not planning on reading this, but Aaron Stevens, one of our uh, uh, young guns here, uh, we went out to evangelize and he said, you know, it might be good if you read this part. So Aaron, thank you, Aaron. We are going to be reading some more today in a good way. So Acts 17, we're going to be reading up through uh, about verse 10 and as we do. If you're inside, if you're able to, if you would stand with us, if you're outside, uh, you can just join with us. If you're online, feel free to stand wherever you are hearing this or, or watching this. And thank you for joining us as well. We're going to read Acts 17, 1 to 9, and then we're going to go read 1 Thessalonians uh, verses 1 to 10, the whole of the first chapter. All right? Here we are, Acts chapter 17. Of course, this is the doctor Luke recording the historics here, and he says this Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, three weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Verse 4, Acts 17:4. and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a many great devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some of the wicked men of the, of the rabble, they formed a mob, and this doesn't sound too much like today, does it? And set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to a crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. Verse 8, and the people and the city and authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. In verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That's the uh, recorded history we have there. As we do, I'm going to grab a chair over here just a second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul Silvanus or Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to you for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full of conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He has raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us us from the wrath to come. May God bless the reading of His Word. I did not plan it this way. Did you note how many times before we even pray for our sermon that they mention Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Isn't that amazing? Uh, he is risen still. He's risen indeed. Let's pray together. We're going to get into this first chapter, countercultural, the book of First Thessalonians over the next several weeks. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this time. Father, there are a lot of scriptures in the Bible, and every one of them is precious. Spurgeon said every uh, page that we have of scripture, every word of scripture is like gold dust. It just can't be uh, counted because it's just so rich. And Lord, we know that. And we've read through 1 Thessalonians, and Lord, we've, we've gone through it in other ways in our lives, but Father, personally, I've never actually studied through the book in depth. What a joy this week to do so. Father, as we go through this, this, this uh, book and seeing how this church in much affliction and persecution and in very strange times, even in their day, stood countercultural to what their culture did, may you give us wisdom to apply it to our lives as a church, as families, as individuals, as old, as young, married, widowed, not married, whatever it is. Let us know what it is that you have for us. May your spirit guide us. May your spirit lead us. And Father, thank you. In these first passages, we heard the words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the blessed Trinity, in whose name we pray today, in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Well, as you know, there used to be a campaign a long time ago, and he has long since gotten old, as all of us have. But when I grew up, there was a man who wore the numbers 2-3. Do you know who this guy was? He was a guy that could glide across a basketball court. He could jump from one end to the next. So I need to say his name. His name was Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was so good, no one had seen the likes of him. Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, all at some point would say he's probably the greatest player ever to live. And before we get into the debate for those young people out there, uh, LeBron James is not better than Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan will forever be the best and is the best. And we probably got more amens than that than we ever have. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving you a hard time. But Mike used to have a commercial that went something like this. Be, I want to be like Mike. And he had a commercial out there. That's what the the jingle was. I want to be like Mike. Because everyone wanted to be like him. I mean, everyone wanted to to fly across the screen and to jump really high and to shoot a basketball and make it 90% of the time or whatever it was. They wanted to be like Mike. And that was a big campaign. Nike actually took off with him at the helm. Nike wasn't Nike as we know it today until Michael Jordan came on the stage. Well, in the church scene, we don't have, I want to be like Mike. We don't have people jumping across basketball goals. At least that's not a requirement for our membership here. But one thing this church at Thessalonians has is kind of like Michael Jordan had. We want to be like the Thessalonians. We want to be like those believers in Thessalonica because they were one of the few churches that Paul came up to and praised right from the get-go. This church was special, and in the midst of only knowing them for about three weeks, Paul was able to write these words, these encouraging words, so much that he was going to write even two letters to them, and we might study that second letter if, if time allows this year, but this church is an example. As many people said, I want to be like Mike, so churches should say in so many ways, I want to be like the Thessalonians. And our big idea today is simply this, is that when the gospel flourishes in the church, Everything flourishes with it. When the gospel flourishes in the church, everything flourishes with it. Paul in Acts 17, that we read, did not have time to go through and talk about this leader is going to lead here. This is going to be the church structure. This person is going to be on this committee. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. He gave them the basics of the faith and maybe a little bit more, and that's all they had in three weeks' time. Yet their church flourished more than most churches who had Paul there for a year or two or six months. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we make Christianity so complicated that we miss the simple things that Jesus loves me and he died for me and he rose again for me. This isn't to say that that structures of churches or budgets or or, or youth groups or choirs or whatever the church does is wrong. But this letter is going to challenge us that those things aren't necessarily necessary to be faithful and countercultural and uh, an evangelistic witness for the Lord. Because where the gospel flourishes, everything else flourishes with it. Let me just give you a little background on this church. This church is in a main crossroads and kind of kind of uh, mid-central Greece at the time where the Greeks are. It's on a major road into Athens. It's on a major road out to Rome. It's kind of like in Missouri terms. It's kind of like Columbia on I seventy. You don't just go to Columbia unless you're a Missouri fan. Sorry, Gail Lard, out in the, in the parking lot. But, but you know you go to Columbia because that's where you go. But unless you're just passing through, you don't really usually stay there unless you have a reason to, right? And so it was with Thessalonica. It was a major city, but most people didn't just stay there. They passed through there and got resupplied there. And this city was very near to Rome. We read that in Acts 17. After they started preaching the gospel, the Jews got mad and started. They went out and started hiring people to, to to form a crowd and to get people moving and to get them to get them riled up because they didn't want to see their 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 people not flourish in the Jewish sense or in the Greek sense because this new message had come. They would said even that they had turned the world upside down. Who was they? Paul, Silas, and Timothy had come preaching the gospel, and this quaint rich, affluent town that was out in the middle of a passing road was now in an uproar because the gospel had come through. Church, we live today in this culture that doesn't know the gospel. They know about Jesus. They know what he he died on a cross, but they don't know the gospel. And it's going to take a church like the Church of Thessalonica here at Tower View and every other gospel preaching church to see us become countercultural we are called to be different from the world and it starts at the very realm of the church so they did this in five ways we're going to break this down first i want you to see in verse one that they were an influenced church they were an influenced church how were they countercultural they were influenced look at verse one he tells you there there are three different avenues here that he does of encouragement that come through the influencing there's paul silas and Timothy. These were the people. He, they recognized from the very get-go Paul did that they needed to be influenced for them to be countercultural. For the Thessalonians to live for Christ, they had to see it lived out before them. And it's interesting to note here, this is the only time Paul does not identify himself in the greeting as the Apostle Paul. Do you notice that in your scripture there? Usually he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and several verses later he goes into the letter. He doesn't do that here. This is an intimate relationship because these people got it. It's kind of like when someone asks me, well, what do you want to be called? I, I'm going to pick on Pastor Nelson for this, because when Nelson came on board about four years ago, he was known around here as Nelson. He's been around here for a few years. And we started slowly, Richard Ream, Richard and I on Mondays, meet usually in the afternoons, we started calling him Pastor Nelson. And it was kind of an inside joke, not because he's not a pastor. He is one of our pastors here, but because no one called him that. And Richard and I kind of riled it up a little bit, and now everyone, if you're, if you're honest, calls him what? Pastor Nelson, and rightfully so. But if you go up to Nelson and ask him what he wants to be called, he probably just wants to be called Nelson. And Paul has an intimate relationship with these people. But his influence is so great, he's on a first-name basis. He didn't have to come in and say, I'm Paul the Apostle, hear me roar. He just simply has an intimate relationship because when the gospel pervades a church, it throws down a lot of formality that is not necessary for the gospel to go forth. They were encouraged by them. Silvanus, many of you have that word in verse 1. Silvanus is Silas. This was Paul's right-hand man, as was Timothy. These people would be part of his missionary journey here, the second missionary journey. But they were an influenced church because of that encouragement there. But notice they also the encouragement comes from the Father. To the church of the Thessalonians and God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Their influence to be countercultural came from the father. And friends, I want to remind you that in this day and age, most people don't understand what a good father is. In the mid-90s, there's was about 40% of kids went to bed without their biological father within the house, not just working, just gone completely. It's now up to about three-fourths of children around the nation do not have the biological father living within their home. But we know our father is good, isn't he? He's the good, good father, as the song says on the radio today. He's a great God. And they were influenced because they were reminded, these men are living this out, but there's a Father in heaven who loves me, who called me and sent his Son for me. But notice that last level of influence that they had on there. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let that title slip out of the, the, the greeting here. The Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the Father and the Lord are on the same level. They're equal. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one, the God, the Blessed Trinity, but he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, this isn't just anyone, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's the one who's coming again. And he says, as they are, he's encouraging them to be countercultural. he says, look, you've seen our influence, you've seen the Father's, but notice the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our God risen from the dead. And he tells them, grace to you, the Greek greeting, grace, charis to you, and shalom, peace to you, the Jewish greeting. And you only have grace. And you only have peace because of what the Father has sent His Son to do. Amen. Friends, the influence we have begins when we look around and we follow people who are walking with Christ. And when those people are walking with Christ, they're going to have their ducks in a row about who they're really following. The Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get to the Spirit later, but that's the first thing. They were an influenced church. The second thing they had here is they were an intentional church. They were an intentional church. Notice what Paul says here. He says, we give thanks to you, always, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I am as guilty as any, but don't you hate when someone says, I'm going to pray for you, and they never do. You've never done that, have you? I'm going to pray for you, and you see them the next time, and you don't want to be awkward about it, so you change the subject. Has that ever happened to you? Come on now. It has. Paul says he constantly remembered them. They were an intentional church, and they were an intentional church, first off, because they had the prayers of other people. You want to see this church grow spiritually, then remember people in your prayers. That's why we put out that prayer calendar weekly or daily at 10 a.m., I think it is now, on our Facebook group, and it's on, it's in Messenger, and it's everywhere. Pray for the people of your church. Constantly remember them in your prayers. Everything starts with prayer, guys. Don't forget that. It starts with prayer. And he gave thanks to God. This is in the present tense. This is not a one-time, hey, I prayed for you. Check the box. This is an ongoing prayer request that he's praying for them. But they were intentional also because they were constructive in their faith. Verse 3 says, he remembers before our God and Father the work of faith, the work of faith. Well, pastor, does this mean that that they were being countercultural because they were saved by their works? No, sir. Paul remembers their work, the work of their faith. They didn't just talk the talk, they walked the walk with Jesus Christ. They were an intentional church because they were constructive in their faith. They were busy not just thinking about the things of Christianity, they were busy doing the things of Christianity, the work of their faith. How do you know a Christian is really a Christian? You know them by their fruit, don't you? A duck doesn't moo and a horse doesn't oink. And a Christian shouldn't be, as a lifetime, anything other but what God has called them to be. Church, we are called to have a constructive faith. We are called to show forth our works. You are called to be a city on a hill. You're called to be light. You're called to be salt in this world, Matthew 5. He said you're intentional in your prayers. You're intentional in your faith. But notice verse 3 here, the triad. There's, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. But he says thirdly here, you're intentional because the work of your faith and labor of love. That word labor there literally means what it implies. They were so in love with each other and so in love with their Lord that everyone looked at them and said, how can you be like that? How can you, how can you love these people who are not like you? How can you love them even though they're different than you? Isn't that what Jesus said? People will know you by your what? Your love. Church today, and we're going to get into the evangelism part of this, but I think a lot of us could look around at churches today and they're not known by their love. They're known by their uh, their divisions. They're known by what they stand for, which isn't always bad. They're known for a lot of things, but they're not known for their love. Would you pray that we're known by our love, that we intentionally seek to love each other here? But you notice also he says the steadfastness of hope. There's working outs of their faith. They're, they're intentional in their love, but they're confident in their hope. They're confident in their hope. They are steadfast hope in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second time he's mentioned that. They're steadfast, intentional in their love, and they're, they're working out their faith. They're, they're laboring to love each other even when it's hard, and they're showing forth their fruit. Why? Because it's the Lord Jesus Christ that they're standing with. How do you keep your focus in a pandemic? Take your eyes off the pandemic and focus on Christ. That'll change every church. I've talked to every pastor at every church that we've prayed for these last several weeks. I always ask them, I always tell you publicly, how are you doing in the pandemic? There's a lot of struggling going on. But friends, this church had a lot of struggles. Uh, Brother Jeff was mentioning even before we were praying this morning with our worship team, this church was under heavy persecution. But they didn't let that persecution get in their way. They were intentional. Their hope was in Christ and Christ alone, not politics, not whatever. It was Christ. May that be our hope too. They were intentional not only that way, but they were also, look at verse 4, they were certain in their election. Did you notice that? They were certain in their election. You mean the political, 2024 is coming up, Pastor, please don't, let's not go there. We just got over 2020. Let's not go there. That's not the election we're talking about. For we know, verse 4, brothers and sisters, it's the Delphoi, it's plural, it's guys and girls. We know guys and gals loved by God that he's chosen you. Do you want to know why they were intentional? They were intentional because God was intentional with them. God, before the foundation of time, chose them before and chose them not because they were better, not because they'd have faith. He chose them because that was the Father's goodwill. Go read Ephesians 1, Romans 9. And in 2 Timothy 1, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, Peter tells them to make your calling and election sure. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, ask yourselves, verse 3. Is there a work of faith? Do you see God working in your life? Do you really have a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Has your steadfast hope really been set on Christ? Then, friends, he says God loved you. Isn't that an amazing truth? He loved you so much, he chose you. Well, why did God choose this person, me, and not this person over here? I have no idea. And Paul said that's a great mystery. Paul said, it's like a potter in the clay. God is the potter, and we're the clay, and he does what he wills. But if you're chosen in Christ, you should be so intentional with your faith in your church that it radically changes everything about who you are. We could go on with that word chosen. But friends, they were an influenced church. They were an intentional church. But number three, they were also an ideal church. Why? Why were they the ideal church? First, notice verse 5, they had the right message. They had the right message. It says in verse 5, he tells you, for we know, brothers, loved by God, verse 4, he's chosen you. Why has he chosen you? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full of conviction. You know, I'm going to stop there, it came in power. How do you know a church is an ideal church? It's because the power of the gospel goes forth. It's not the the antics or the raised voice or the pounding of the pulpit of the pastor. It is God's Holy Spirit working within you. When you were saved, how were you saved? You were saved because God took a ton of bricks on your heart and your conscience and he laid them on you. And in that moment, you saw your sin for what it is, heinous before God but God in his great mercy opened your eyes by the spirit and you saw the love of God for you and God so loved the world that he even loved me. Yes, sir, he loved you. Yes, ma'am. You remember that moment? Remember that time? They were an ideal church because they had the right message. He wasn't talking about five ways to be a better daddy. He wasn't talking about 10 ways to get your taxes in before April 15th and have to pay a fine. He didn't say seven ways that the Royals can win the World Series if you pray this way. Whatever, I'm being silly. He just simply said, Our gospel came to you not only in word. What word was that? The word of God, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're praying for someone who doesn't know Christ, they had the right message. You pray that the right message goes forth. Friends, it's okay to share your testimony about how you came to Jesus, but if you don't call that person to repentance, you're not really doing much good. Their gospel came with power. How does God, you pray that the power of the Spirit works through the preaching of the gospel, the sharing the gospel, wherever it is. They had the right message. You know, it was verse 6. They were in ideal church also because they had the right men. Ladies, let me just note this here, verse, into verse 5, into verse 6. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Is this excluding women from ministry? No. Is this saying that women are second class? No. Is this saying that women are lesser than men? No. But it is saying that God used three men. Who are they? Paul, Timothy, and Silas. He says, we came with the right men. Who are these men? They were men that were fragile. They were men who were sinners. They were men, though, that had been set apart by God, and their lives were worthy of imitation. And he goes on in verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Church, we need to pray that God raises up godly men within churches and godly women. But especially in this context, godly men would be raised up in churches, young and old, and we are raised up to be who we are called to be. Well, Pastor, I don't think anyone should ever follow my example because I'm a sinner. Well, we are sinners. But isn't that what Paul told the Corinthians to do? Imitate me as I imitate Christ or follow me as I follow Christ? Men, can we look at our lives and look around at each other and say, my wife, my, my wife, my life, and why that rhymes, my life is worthy to be imitated because they knew the right men. If you're here in our church or you're watching online, do you have someone in your life who can call your bluff, who can call you out if you need to be called out, especially men to men? Ladies, you too, do you do you have someone in your life who you know loves you but is not afraid to call you for what you are if you're walking off the beaten path? They were an ideal church because they followed the right men, sinners as they were. They had the right message. But notice verse 7, they had the right motivation so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. These men of Thessalonica, these women of Thessalonica followed after Paul and Silas and Timothy. They they followed the Lord's leadership in their life and because of that God used them across the world to be examples for the faith of Jesus Christ. Churches are known for lots of things in today. Golly, we could go on. There are some churches who are known more for their political persuasion than they are about their God. There are some churches who are known more for what experience you get out of it than the God of the experience. There are churches that are known more for being so socially justice-oriented that they don't even know what the gospel is. There are so many churches known for lots of things. May our church be known for this, that we love Jesus that he died for us, that he rose again. And we are not perfect people, but together we want to see him lifted high. If our church is known for that, we've got a good thing going. He said they had the right motivation. What was the motivation? Is that people would see Christ within them. I'll be celebrating my six-year anniversary here at this church in just a couple weeks. I don't say that for any accolade. I just have been reflecting on it, and I thought, you know, what is our church known for? I bet if we surveyed the congregation, we'd get a lot of different things. You're that church that does that drive-in thing, aren't you? Maybe that's part of it. But I pray our church is known, and I think we can know this internally. Our church is known as a group of loving people who want to glorify Christ. We come from different parts of the city. We're different ages. We have different persuasions. But I think our church is convinced of this. We want Christ lifted high. Amen? And that's what we desire. They were an ideal church because they had the right message, the right men, and the right motivation. But notice, fourthly, they were also an indebted church, an indebted church. Verses 8 and 9, it says in verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, I'm going to stop right there, sounded forth. When you hear a sound, uh, we had a a friend over the other day uh, just visiting with us, and we were reminiscing because in our neighborhood, uh, they had a big, uh, down in, we're kind of on the south side of Liberty, and in Sugar Creek, uh, about four years ago, they had a big outdoor concert about five miles down the road. I mean, speakers that were just huge. I mean, for like five story speakers, and you could hear the boom, 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 boom all night long. It, it drove me nuts. I remember it very much. I preached that morning. You probably listen to that sermon not make any sense of it. But I, we were reminiscing about that. I thought about this as I read it because, like that, 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 so it was the gospel going forth from them. This is the only time. In the New Testament, this word is used. They, they're, they're, they, it was the same word used as the Roman army coming down. You'd hear the Roman army coming for miles. Because when they came with all their armor clanking around, you knew they were coming. Verse 8, they were an indebted church. Why? Because they proclaimed the gospel. It says in verse 8, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, But your faith has gone forth everywhere, so we may not need to say anything. May our church be known as a gospel, gospel gospel-centered, gospel-living church that when people look at us, they don't have to figure out what we're all about, that we're about Christ. And when they looked at the Thessalonian church, they didn't have to put out a, a statement to the press, this is what we're really all about. They just looked at them and said, they're really about Jesus, this risen guy. They knew it. And friends, that is our call everywhere. That everywhere we would proclaim the gospel. And let me just say this: it's not just my job as pastor to proclaim the gospel. It's your job wherever you are to share the gospel. I appreciate Doug and Cindy Hager so much because they have they are trying we have, they are trying to take these times a hold. And how do we share the gospel as a church? And big events are hard, and we've had to you know we had to pivot again with our Easter egg hunt because of uh, of COVID. Appreciate them so much. But, friends, whether it's a big event or whether it's individuals, our call never changes. We are to share the gospel. Are we indebted in our view of our faith so much that we look at each other and look at across the world and say, Lord, who is it? Who's my one? Who's my one person that needs to know Jesus Christ? Friends, that's what I challenge you with this week. Who is that one person in your life that you need to pray that God's Holy Spirit would come in power and conviction on them? They were an indebted church because they proclaimed the gospel. But they were also an indebted church because they were praising God for the salvations that happened. Look at verse 9. For they themselves, who's they? It's the other churches looking to this church in Thessalonica. Report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. How you turn to God from idols. That happened one time. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How do you know someone's come to Jesus? They come to Jesus because their life is radically changed. You pray for one person. They were indebted because they knew God had saved them. And they knew that God needed to take that message through them to other people. Look, you may not be one for words with people, but you need to be praying about who is it in your life that needs the gospel. We want to be countercultural, then we need to start sharing the gospel more. Not just in evangelistic events. That's great. We want those things. That's another avenue. Not just, uh, you know, but friends, who are your neighbors? Who are your coworkers, virtual as they may be? Who's your family member? You write down that person. I'm, literally, sometime in the sermon, you write down the name of that person. You pray about them that they would come to know Christ. Maybe it's a grown child. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a distant family member. Maybe it's a friend. But they were known as an indebted church. Because God had turned them from idols. That's what God does. You remember Zacchaeus? Pastor Nelson taught on this this morning. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Oh, but what did he do so happily after that? He turned over all his money that he had stolen and gave it back. Why? Because he turned from idols to serve the living and true God. We have one God and he's living. Friends, this church was inspired. They were intentional. They were ideal. They were indebted. But look at verse 10. We'll close here. They were, an, they were also, they were an inspired church. They were an inspired church. Why were they inspired? Why did they keep their faith going? Why did they not give up in the midst of all the persecution for the faith, of uh, sake of Christ, verse 10 tells you. And Paul says, and to wait for his son from heaven, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were an inspired church because they were looking for the Savior's return. Isn't that the Christian life? It's like, uh, it, it, you remember the mall days. I remember Metro North Mall here. Has it really been that many years ago since that place was open? Almost 20 years. That's crazy for you Northlanders who've been around. But they used to have those balloons that went up in, in the uh, uh, Metro North Mall. You remember that setting? And I remember as a teenager coming from a small town Missouri, my mom would let me go as far as Barry Road, as, as far as I could go to drive, and it's just what it was. But you got to go, and it's always fun to watch the men. You, know, you, you guys know what it is. You'd always see these guys sitting out there like this. Those of you outside who can't see them crossing my arms. And they would sit down like this. And they'd kind of look at the other men and they'd kind of give that silent man nod. I know what you're feeling, brother. I got you. Because they're ladies who are out shopping around Metro North Mall. And then those crazy mall walkers would walk by and they'd get even more, you know, just that sort of thing. But that's kind of the Christian life, isn't it? We're kind of waiting and doing. Lord... I want to do the work for you, just like a husband is, do, is loving his wife by sitting on that bench. Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going to wait for you, but I'm looking for your return. I'm inspired to wait for you, Lord, because I know you're coming back. And those husbands knew if they moved or if they did anything wrong, their wives would know about it, because if they weren't in that same spot when they got back, they'd probably be in trouble. Well, Christian, our God says he, we don't know the day or the hour when he's going to return. but We know he's returning, Amen. Is he coming before the tribulation, after tribulation? Great question. He's coming visibly. He's coming historically. He's coming literally. He's coming gloriously. He's coming physically. He's coming bodily. And he's coming instantaneously. That is our God, and he's returning. They were an inspired church because they knew Christ was coming back. Yeah, they had to wait, but they were busy at the task at the same hand. They were also looking for his rescue. Did you notice that part the very end? They were inspired church because Jesus had been raised from the dead. There's a confidence he's coming back again, but he also delivered them from the wrath to come. There's a story, and I'll close with this. About uh, 30 years ago, there was a young lady walking on the railroad tracks. And it's online, you can find about, she was 14 years old. Don't know why they were doing this. They are walking with her daddy, her little brother who's five, and a little kid. And they heard the Amtrak train coming down the tra- train tracks about 100 miles an hour. They had about a few seconds to make a decision about what they were going to do. The five-year-old, as most five-year-olds would, would, did not listen to his father's instructions. He froze right there on the railroad tracks. The daddy and the other young boy were able to get away, but the 14-year-old made a life-altering decision. She jumped literally in front of that train and pushed that five-year-old brother out of the way to give her life for that brother. I don't have to tell you the end result. She, of course, passed away sadly, but that young boy was spared. Friends, we are not unlike that young boy in our sin on that track. The wrath of God, John 3 tells us, abides on us. We're either under the wrath of God or we're under his love. But Christ came at just the right moment and pushed us out of the way that he might be smashed by the wrath of God for us. This church was on fire for Christ because they never forgot from whom they were saved, God, and from who saved them. When the gospel flourishes, everything else flourishes around it. May we pray that we are countercultural in these ways, and it only gets better from here. Our God is good. Amen. Let's go before him in prayer. We'll close in our song. We'll go to the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that as we come, We are not as those who don't know Christ, but I pray for anyone who's watching or hearing this or listening now or later or sometime later, whatever the time frame is, Lord, you know. I pray, that, Lord, that the gospel would be clear. Lord, there's one way to heaven. It's through your Son. There's no other name under heaven by which we are saved except Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, you've called us to become yours all by turning from our sin. Father, we pray today that you would be lifted high. Father, we pray as we come together as a church that we would be... An influenced church. We would be an intentional church, an ideal church, an indebted church and an inspired church because of what your son has done for us. Father, thank you for Tower View Baptist. Thank you for the 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 work you're growing here. Give us wisdom in the days ahead. But Father, may you be glorified and lifted high. We love you so much. Even when the hardest times come, may we be like those in Thessalonians who look to you above all things. We pray this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said.